With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Welcome, everyone. This is View from the Rafters. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome in one of the pillars of this organization. Everybody forgets that part. Okay. Oh, good one. Good Don't one. go there. Not yet. What will we talk about in our podcast? You haven't told him? Like he had just come off the battlefield or I something. know what a dream it is to work with him. Half our listeners probably don't even know what that is. Always going to bleed green, baby. Welcome to View from the Rafters. Behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics, presented by Cardless. Here are your hosts. Mark D'Amico and Sean Grandy. It is going to be a special, special weekend this weekend at TD Garden for the Boston Celtics organization. On Friday night, there is a welcome home celebration for 75 years of Celtics history. Dozens of former players are going to be in town for that game and celebrated at halftime. On Saturday, many of those players are going over to Encore Boston Harbor for a welcome home celebration. And then... The granddaddy of them all on Sunday, Kevin Garnett's number five going up to the rafters for the rest of time. It's going to be an unbelievable experience. Sean Grandy is here with me. And Sean, you spent plenty of time around this guy, Kevin Garnett. You were with him for a few seasons out in Minnesota, calling games for the Timberwolves, and then obviously six more years here with the Boston Celtics. Rewinding back to those first days when you were around Kevin Garnett, what do you remember about that experience being around the big ticket? Everything. I remember everything. Photographic memory. Here's the point. Everything you're, everything you're about to hear on this edition, everything you're about to hear this weekend, everything in the documentaries, everything that's going to unfold that's going to hit your ears over this next period of time on Kevin Garnett weekend or whatever we decide to call it, I start with the following three words. It's all true. All of it. Everything you hear. And to me, one of the most fascinating parts is how it's going to be hearing how he affected so many people of different generations, of different places, at different times in their life. So many of the people he dealt with early were older than he was. In the later years of his career, he affected players and people who were younger. And, you know, I think I don't have a part in it, but the, the most interesting time for me was the spring and summer of 2007, when the rumors were growing and the rumors were gathering and I was sitting here going, this has the chance to be something we're going to be doing podcasts about in 15 years when podcasts didn't even exist. And yet these two, as I've written many times this week, these two soulmates, the city of Boston Celtics organization and Kevin Garnett, 
there was a disconnect, even into that spring and summer, that I don't think people realized exactly what was about to happen. And I was just one of the few people behind the curtain who said, wait a minute, this has a chance to be insane if it happens. And the hardest thing for me, Mark, in the 2007-2008 season calling those games was not calling them with my palms out like Jordan in the 92 finals. Like, I told you so. That was the hardest thing for a younger announcer as I was at the time to not have that creep in because it was one of the rare things in life that not only meets out the outrageous expectations I had for it, those six years exceeded it. Certainly exceeded it, certainly met the expectations. And a big part of that is a couple of the teammates that were, were on the roster with him, Eddie House, James Posey. They're going to come on right now with us to talk about their experience with KG, how KG shaped them, and how KG shaped really the culture within the Boston Celtics and changed it back in 2007. So let's dive in to our conversation with Eddie House and James Posey. You guys are both coming into town for our 75th celebration and KG's number retirement this weekend. When, when are you guys getting into town? I get in uh, Friday morning. Yeah, I think I, either Friday. I got to check. I haven't got the, the itinerary yet. So as far as I know, I'm coming unless they stalling me out. <laughs> <laughs> They're not stalling you out, Pose. Pose, you're in. You're in. Locked and loaded. When's the last time all you guys from the 08 team like really got together with like a, a pretty good-sized group that you're going to have this weekend? I couldn't tell you. Probably. I don't. I don't think. I don't think after the championship. I don't think I got got back with the guys. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, probably since we won, we all been together. Yeah. All right. Well, it's happening this weekend, and no better reason than to watch KG's number five be raised up into the rafters forever. It's going to be an awesome, awesome experience. But let's talk about KG here, right? The trade goes down on July first, two thousand seven. Eddie, you actually signed with the team the very next day. On the first day of free agency, James, it took you a few weeks to come on board. Um, but plain and simple, just want to ask you guys right out of the gate, like, do you guys sign with the Celtics if that KG trade doesn't go down? Eddie, we'll start with you just because you were day after. Uh, if, ever, if ever, it was a combination of him and Ray, you know, them coming together. When all that happened and we seen the nucleus and Danny called me like, hey, look, and I'm calling again because he called the year before trying to get me there. Um, I ended up signing with New Jersey, and he was like, hey, I'm, I'm calling again. What you want to do? I was like, man, this was a no-brainer. Uh, we're going to do something special. We just need to get – and, Paul, I think I hit you up afterwards because we have the same agent. Yeah. So I hit Paul's up and like, man, let, we got to make this happen. And, you know, not, not that I swayed him any way or nothing, but we had the same representation. So I reached out after I signed, and I was trying to – because I knew exactly what Paul's brought to the table, and we needed, we needed him for sure. Yeah, it's, it's crazy because uh, uh, <laughs> I remember that weekend like it was yesterday because I already told my agent that I was going to Jersey and because um, I was, you know, looking for the next contract or whatever, right? And yep. so, uh, I mean, I knew E-House just from afar and everything. Never had really no conversation off the court or nothing like that. And then he called my phone and he, uh, he said, hey, Pose, listen, man, I know you don't know me or whatever, but listen, listen to me. He said, I've been here. If you come here, we're going to win it all. And then, you know, you hear you players call you, stuff like that, to get you to come there or whatever. And I was just like, man, I don't know, because I was thinking about my situation, you know what I'm saying? More like, you know, yeah. like years and where I wanted to be. And so I got off the phone with E-House, and, uh, you know, I just thought about it a little bit. And I already told my agent that I was going to go to Jersey, you know, with J-Kid, Vince, and um, – and uh, Rich and RJ, Richard Jefferson. 
And so um, he, good thing he told me to think about it. And he probably told E-House to call me. But either way, after I got the phone with E-House, I called him back. I said, man, all right, I'm going to go to Boston. Just like that, you know what I'm saying? I'm going <laughs> well, to go to Boston. Clearly, you made the right decision, yeah, right? I made the right decision. You, you got some jewelry to, to hang around now that you made that decision. So thank no, you to sure, Eddie House for, for making sure, that phone call. Like I said, he was there, and he's there had been working out or whatever. And like I said, I told you the conversation that we had. And then, like I said, I just said, you know, after I thought about it, I said, you know what? Man, I'm going to Boston, man. <laughs> I, should get, I should get a bonus for that. Pose. We'll cut you that check when you get to Boston this weekend. I'll make sure of it. All right. We'll get you that bonus. There's going to be a lot of settling up of stuff. You guys haven't all been together in the same room. I was with you for all those years when you were in the same room and there was settling up to be done after every, after all these years go by, man, there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of that. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. I'm uh, I'm excited for it. uh, Just to see all the guys, see where everybody's at. You know, a lot of guys are, Pretty much everybody's successful in, in moving into their own uh, their their different endeavors and you know life after basketball. But we all are hoopers at heart, so we it's never really life after basketball. It's just we're not really playing as much. Like I talk, I still got a hoop. I got 15 year old twins. Uh, my oldest is at New Mexico, and I got 15 year old twin boys. So we go every Tuesday and Thursday, and we go bang against some high school kids and um, you know some grown men just so they could. They could feel that, and it keeps me in shape and kind of keeps me a little young. There was no one more competitive than the man, Kevin Garnett, right? So you talked about a little bit there, Pose, with Eddie's first month of kind of getting these, these off-season runs with KG and the crew. But when you guys first became teammates with him, what was that like? Like, what is the experience of being Kevin Garnett's teammate for the first time? Well, it's crazy because, uh, you know, I got a good friend in Sam Cassell, and him and KG, you know what I'm saying, they have a good friendship as well. And so when I signed it, he said, pose, man, in the Sam Cassell voice, you're going to love Ticket. You're going to love, man. He he played hard, man. He played hard, man. You don't need, he played hard. And you hear people play hard, I mean, a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, you credit somebody, he play hard. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. I mean, I play hard. You know, I think I work hard. But when I got there, and, hey, when I seen this – Hundred million dollar man in the gym before practice, sweating, and then in practice when it started, was going 110, and was the last one to leave. I said, "Ooh, yeah, he worked hard." Say, I called Sam. Yeah, you 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 was right, and I I didn't call Sam till like a couple weeks later, <laughs> <laughs> because you know, say anybody can do it for the first couple of days, but a couple of weeks later, and then next thing you know, I mean, that's just how he just set the tone from day one like i said i mean i, I guess it, he was just i mean he's he's been doing it so long so he just brought that with him and i think it was contagious from everybody else just as far as working hard or working harder and then the competitive practices that we had our practices were like games for it you know what i'm saying sometimes white win sometimes it's green to mm-hmm. win but he brought that just emotion and that dedication even more so out of everybody that was on that team yep. He worked so hard, James, that you wrote back in November that Doc had to actually tell him, you are not practicing today. And then they would kind of get into it a little bit. What was, what was that like seeing the player and coach go back and forth about the coach telling the player not to practice? Yeah, because, I mean, he ain't never want to sit out. You have, you know, most, you know, star players, they sit out just, you know, he like, nah, I'm here. I came here to win. I, I ain't come here to coach, Doc. I ain't come here to coach. I ain't going to sit on the side. And, and then Doc was like, yo, if you get on this court, 
I'm going to find you. He's like, come on, man. Come on, Doc. And, you know, that was just he didn't want to leave his teammates out there. And he wanted to be out there checking and to help his team because he knew where at the end of the year where we wanted to be at and what we were trying to do. He loved who, though. You know, KG loved who at the end of the day. And even when you play against, when, when you play against him, right, you'll be like, man, you, you know he's going to come with that work. You hate it because you got to go against him. But you always – I always left them games like, man, this is the one who, like, if anybody I would want to – he go hard. He go after – he got his teammates back. Like, that's a cat that you want to play for. And just piggybacking off of what Cole said about his work ethic, no joke, sweating before practice, sweating after practice, the last one to leave, putting in the most work in the weight room. And as a role player, you know, we all think we work hard and we all do our job, right? But as a role player, there you have no excuse to not put in any extra work when this dude is making the most on the team, got the most accolades, everybody is looking up to him, and he's the hardest working guy. It's a trickle-down effect, and we all followed in line. I think he set the tone with that, and that was a, that was an extremely important move he did because he could have easily came in and set the tone as, I'm a star, I'm going to sit out. That would have just trickled down to some of the other guys. I've seen teams kind of get divided, like, why are we working so hard and he gets to sit out all the time? And there's a division in teams when that happens, and I think he was not trying to allow that to splinter from the very beginning. That may answer – you guys have just sort of answered it, but one of the interesting things that you two bring is that you played against him for a lot of years. Pose, you played – I looked this up. You had to play 30 games against him in the Western Conference and all before you came to play him. Was that the biggest difference? Because guys that play against Kevin Garnett generally don't like Kevin Garnett. Paul hate, known him for hate years. is the word. That's the point. <laughs> like, he rubs everybody the wrong way. So, first of all, had you built up, either one of you, had you built up sort of that, oh, man, this guy drives me crazy – versus was that the biggest difference between playing against him and seeing him up close, seeing the hard work in person? Well, the crazy thing about it is I got a chance to play against uh, against some in, uh, like, in high school during AAU. He was with Team Michigan. You know, you hear about this kid with great talent. He could go to the from high school to the league and everything. So the same way he was – I mean, he was dunking in warm-ups, full sweat, talking, smacking everything, and brought the same energy – Donkey swinging on the rim, yelling in people's faces and everything. So I'm like, oh, okay. So now, you know, he gets drafted to the league. You think it died down a little bit. Nah, he was the same way. And, you know, just to see that, I was I was like, okay. You know, you see the love of the game. You see the passion that he had. And you know he's a, a, a extremely competitive person. And you always want to, you know, play against somebody like that and also, you know, be on, on the same team with somebody. So for me, just seeing him. You know, being in Minnesota, it was just like, man, just seeing them go to work, especially making that jump from high school and keeping that same energy and dominate the league like he did. Hey, Pose, tell me if I'm wrong with this one. But to me, we know how talented KG is, right? Can do whatever he wants, pass, shoot, score, a leader, all that. I think, to me, watching him, how he psyched himself out to be 100 every single game because – Playing so many years, playing so many games, so many practices, it gets monotonous, right? And you're like, okay, it's hard to get yourself up. But night in, night out, he psyched himself out to be playing like a game seven damn near every single night. And he was serious every single game like that. And I think that's probably his best attribute that's not anything to where you could say, 
you could actually see it unless you're sitting there with him and going through it with him. But people on the outside will have no idea that that's what he went through night in and night out, even at practices, to be able to psych himself out to be a going 100 against a team that only has nine wins, and we got to come in there. we were the best team in the league. We got to find our energy. He found it all the time, and that, that was another trickle-down effect that you, I, I use them there to, to this day. That was probably the best attribute that I noticed that will go unnoticed to everybody else. Yeah, it's crazy because, I, I mean, I tell people, I say, y'all just see – Game time when he bang his head on the low on the uh, on the cushion support system and pat his chest and then come out there for jump ball. I said no, that's he he does that in more just for practice, just for practice. <laughs> so I mean I don't know what it is what he had for breakfast or whatever it may be, but he he brought that same energy like at night in night out all day every day. You right, E House. At what point before a game did you guys know? Don't talk to him. You <laughs> like he's in the zone. I can't bother him. It was, it was one. It was one time. So look, me and him got into it before the game. And Pose, you know how I am before the game. I laugh. And so he came over, tried to tell me how I'm gonna get ready. And I had to tell him like, hey man, I'm, I'm a vet in this league too. This is how I get ready. But all right, I respect what you're saying to me. This is how you get down. This is how I get down. And that was it. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you remember uh, going going to the left coast, right? We get on the plane and they had some terrible ass like little meal or whatever. Like it was terrible. And he's like, hey Doc, yo, this what we supposed to be eating on the way over there? No, come on, man. We, we can't go over there. But come on, Doc. And then Doc came up to look at the food or whatever. And then he like, come on, Doc, we supposed to go. We, man, come on, we can't go out like that. Listen, we probably waited there for two hours. I'm gonna say two hours. His wife and uh, and Ray Allen's uh, wife ordered P.F. Chang's for our plane. We waited there till we got a good meal to fly to the left coast, out to L.A. And, I mean, I know I don't know if he was just pulling his – Sean, did you get any of that P.F. Chang's? Well, P.F. Chang's continued after that. <laughs> P.F. Chang's became the regular food on the plane for you. But you guys will remember these three words from KG. How many times did he say it? Respect – these years yeah oh yeah talk about waiting in line arc respect these years all right folks stick with us we'll be right back with celtics managing partner governor and chief executive officer with growth today's episode is presented by the boston celtics credit card powered by cardless you'll be eligible to earn a special sign-up bonus when you apply and are approved at cardless.com slash celtics then redeem your points for cash back, game tickets, merch, and much more. Card issued by First Electronic Bank, member FDIC. Offers subject to credit approval. Visit cardless.com forward slash Celtics for more information. That's cardless.com forward slash Celtics. Well, Wick, the time has finally arrived. The team originally announced this, that the, the Kevin Garnett number five was going up into the rafters more than two years ago. It was back in February of 2020. Obviously, COVID uh, played a little role in that being delayed. But what's your excitement level now that this date and this weekend has finally arrived? I mean, ever since 2008 happened, I've been looking forward to this day, really. Uh, and I was able to see KG at the premiere of Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler and, and actually talked to him. And I just sort of said, Kevin, we think it's time. We would really like to put number five in the rafters uh, if you'll, you know, allow it really. And he 
said, I just want to say thank you. I've been waiting a long time, too. I don't think he really has been about individual accolades. He hasn't been about having his number retired. He's a team guy. He's a, you know, he loves the banner. But uh, but he agreed to let number five go in the rafters alongside his idol, like uh, idols like Bill Russell. And I think it's just a big moment for everybody. I can't wait. How did you come to the decision? I know you just mentioned like the first conversation that you had with Kevin about it, but how did you personally come to the the decision that you wanted to make this happen along with the rest of the ownership group? Well, uh, I guess I would say that it, it didn't even feel like a decision. Like most <laughs> good decisions, it doesn't feel like a decision. It's it's obvious. And so I think Kevin came to the decision that he was going to be one of the greats of all time in basketball, and he made it come true. Um, and he'd be the first to point to his teammates and his coaching staffs and, and the fans. But, but Kevin did it, and uh, Kevin's going in the rafters. You mentioned how much of a – he doesn't really like this type of attention, right? I mean, he just went into the Hall of Fame within the last year. Um, now he's going up into the rafters. But he doesn't like this type of attention. He concentrates on that other banner that is up in the rafters. And that, that's actually um, what I actually wrote my script about, that we're, we're putting out our video this weekend, um, hyping up the, this incredible event. But how unique is that from all of the, the players that you have been around in your nearly 20 years of, of being an ownership member of this team? How unique is that, that, that a superstar level player doesn't care about anything that has to do with his personal accolades? It's all about the other stuff. It's all about the team and trying to reach that end goal of raising a banner. Well, it's very, very special. Anywhere in any walk of life, it's very special to find a true teammate and someone who's genuinely thinking of the success of others. Um, but, you know, Doc brought that whole flavor to the 08 team and his entire era with Ubuntu. And um, Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and Kendrick Perkins and Rajan Rondo and everybody, James Posey, they were Eddie House. They were they were in it for everybody and they were in it for the greater goal. And when you meet the old older Celtics and all the way back to 57, I've been able to meet, you know, most all of the 57 teams starting when I came in. I mean, what an honor. They, you never heard anybody so altruistic, so generous with their praise, their sincere praise of other people. Um, Havlicek and, you know, I just saw Togo Palazzi the other night and, and Russell and Kuzi. They're all about everybody else. And that's the Celtic way. And Kevin's a great Celtic in that way. Perfect segue here. You're talking about all of these players from past years. Many of them are going to be in town this weekend. Um, not only are we are we raising number five into the rafters, but we're also celebrating 75 years of history with inviting many of our alumni back to town. Uh, just how special is this weekend going to be for you to be able to kind of make both of those events happen and take place within basically 48 hours of each other? It's just heaven. I mean, it's just the way uh, it should be around the Celtics. There's so many great memories that so many great people put together uh, before we got here. And, and, and uh, we're just trying to do our part to add on to it in, a, in the best way we can. And, and this weekend brings uh, past together with the present and hopefully the future. The team's playing well now and trying to live up to some of those teams of the past. And it's all, it's all coming together at a really exciting time of year. No question. No question about that. So we, we've got to rewind to the first days of when Kevin Garnett did become a Boston Celtic and maybe actually the weeks before he became a member of the Boston Celtics. Take me through what you remember um, was the process and kind of the negotiating that went into making that trade happen and how it materialized back in 2007. Well, that's been it's 
a story that's been told, but the, the, the real credit for the idea of getting Car Kevin Garnett here was uh, Danny. And, and, you know, we did, as a group, Steve and I, um, employ a bunch of PhDs to look at previous successful teams over the past 25 years, the previous NBA champions, and what would they look like. And we realized they need a tentpole, top 50, all-time great player at the center of really almost every one of the previous 25 NBA championships have been a top 50 player and MVP at the heart of it. And so we wanted one. And so Danny identified the KG be coming up in three years on his contract with Minnesota. And, um, and maybe we should get ready to try to make a bid at that time. And so Danny's strategy, which was brilliant, was to draft young players and have Doc Rivers come in to coach them up and teach them the ropes um, and, and make them better and then have a bunch of players ready, some to keep and some to maybe trade for an established superstar like KG. And so that was the plan. And Danny executed it at the end of it in the negotiations. Glenn Taylor wanted to speak with me Ben and I are good friends. He's the owner of the Timberwolves. And, and he just wanted to make sure we wouldn't make a different trade and he proposed some different trades. And Ben and I went back and forth and finally he agreed on the trade we wanted. Uh, which we appreciate. So that's about it. But but really, uh, and Kevin had to decide to come to the Celtics. Mm -hmm. Sorry about the rambling answer, but Kevin had to really opt in. He had to do a, tr a, a sign and extend, or you know, he had to do an extension with us after the trade. And it was all uh, within NBA rules, but it was complicated. And he really had to want to be in Boston, which we love. He came as a free of his own sort of free will. He didn't get stuck here. He chose to come here, and he made it work, and it was fantastic. At what point did you know that Kevin had wanted to commit to this Celtics team? For Obviously, as you said, the team didn't want to make a trade just for, for one year. They wanted to extend him. At what point did you know that he wanted to be here long term? I think it had to be – it was during the negotiation process, and I think when Danny talked to Kevin, I wasn't on that call, but we got permission to talk, and the idea was um, – that you know, it, it really only worked if he would sign this extension. It was all agreed to, as I recall, up front. But um, you know, Mike Zarin or Danny will be able to give you all the details, but that's the way it worked. So we knew um, at that point. I think Danny had been wondering if he would agree to come if, we traded, if he traded for uh, Ray Allen and joined him up with Paul Pierce. But then the word came that it, it looked pretty good, and then, then it happened. So I've got to bring this up. I think this is hilarious, but you mentioned Danny and the credit is to Danny for making the trade happen. And obviously he put in a lot of work. However, Paul Pierce has made it clear that he was the first guy who brought this up. He remembers this moment back in, I think it was 2006. They're standing at the free throw line playing against the Timberwolves. You're, you are sitting courtside. And as Paul tells the story, he looked at you and said, this is the guy that we need right here. And he pointed at KG. Do you, do you remember that moment? And uh, if so, what was, what was going through your mind during those moments? I do remember. I mean, that's the best part about sitting down there by the, uh, where the free throws happen. You can talk to people, players, refs. Uh, it's a great place to sit. But um, I do remember that. And I, I would never disagree with Paul Pierce about anything. He's our <laughs> finals MVP and another, another one whose number is retired. So, Paul's right about that. There's success has a lot of uh, fathers, I guess, or, or whatever parents, as as they say. But but Paul was definitely involved. And and for KG to want to come and play with Paul and Ray and be coached by Doc, you know, was really important. So there's lots of credit to go around uh, for having this all work out. 
And one thing that that stands out to me, I, I was only around KG for a few years here um, toward the tail end of his time, uh, probably about three or four seasons. But just being around him, you could feel that the energy that he brought to the table and the way he went about things during his time here, that didn't end when he left. Like it, it carried over into the next teams because the young guys who were teammates with him here saw that and then they tried to carry that on and pass that on to the younger players when they grew up a little bit. What in your estimation is kind of the lasting impact that Kevin Garnett made on the Boston Celtics during his six seasons with the franchise? That's right. I mean, you know what? He really updated, I think, the well, first of all, his energy level is off the charts. And fans of today who may only really see him through highlights, I mean, those of us that were uh, on the, like you, that were on the bus and the plane and in the practices, and, you know, it never stopped. It was literally 24-7 with him. I don't know if he ever sleeps, but it is a nuclear reactor 24-7 Kevin Garnett. Sean Grandy said that being around him for nine seasons, he can count on his, his one hand how many times he saw Kevin Garnett sleeping. Right, exactly. So um, it, that's KG. But, but I also think he just brought back or brought to a, a, a new level Celtic pride. We had come in. We had been trying to build. We had some really good players. We had some good teams and good efforts. But KG came in and changed everything the minute he walked into the first practice. And he was proud to be a Celtic. He... he he looked at every banner before he came to our press conference. He held up the opening press conference to go through every banner with Jeff Twist and hear about each team and soak it in. He was so proud to be a Celtic and I think still is and uh, added another banner to the, to the rafters. But he brought back the, or, or energized the, the Celtics around pride and around winning and made it happen. Wick, I rewind a couple years to to when Paul Pierce's number 34 went up into the rafters, and obviously he spent so much time here in Boston. He went through so much to get to that 2008 championship season, and I remember that night when his number went up, it was so emotional. Like, everyone in the arena was crying. Paul was crying at times. I mean, it was just extremely emotional. What do you anticipate being, um, you know, from an emotional standpoint, what do you anticipate the feeling is going to be this Sunday when KG's time comes? Well, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I'm getting a little emotional right now. Uh, thinking about it, I'm not planning to cry, and I don't recall crying with Paul, but, uh, but I was definitely feeling it. And, and I've got to tell you, um, I think there's just love for KG. I think people here mm -hmm. really respect him, really appreciate him, really love him, and he's going to feel it. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how he reacts because, he, you know, he's so steely and he's so he's so emotional, but he's so just larger than life and, and strong. And I, it'll be really interesting to see how he he reacts, because I think it's going to be a very moving, very emotional time, a very, very special time. Well, I remember definitely seeing a bunch of fans that were around me that night when Paul's number went up. They were all crying. My anticipation is that they're going to all be screaming during KG's yeah, event. Just, just right. They're going to try to give back the energy that he gave up for us for so long. Uh, but, Wick, thank you for taking the time. Uh, we're really looking forward to this weekend. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks to all the fans who helped uh, make Boston, the Celtics, a place that players like KG want to come and play. I mean, there's a reason the Celtics have been so good in the past is that the fans have supported uh, the team from thick and thin and it's much appreciated. All right, folks, hang with us through this commercial break. We will be right back with a conversation with Kevin Garnett's high school coach at Farragut Academy. His name is William Wolf Nelson and he's coming up next. 
Today's episode is presented by the Boston Celtics credit card, powered by Cardless. New cardholders can earn a special sign-up bonus, which you can redeem for front row game tickets, autographed gear, cashback, and more. You'll continue to earn points on all of your purchases, too. Card issued by First Electronic Bank, member FDIC, offers subject to credit approval. Visit cardless.com forward slash Celtics for more information. That's cardless.com forward slash Celtics. Coach, you know, it's been interesting. I don't know if you've had the same experience that I've had and the rest of us have had who have been tangential parts of KG's life throughout that this last year with the documentary and this last week and month with all of the interviews and the conversations like this, it's been fun just reliving it. Oh, absolutely. Um, every step of the way, I just been all cheese. You know what I mean? I, I, it takes me all the way back to the beginning. As you said, um, as I just watch it all play out, uh, I said, oh, okay, it's about that time, you know, he, they, they gave me this Hall of Fame piece. When he came in a couple of years ago to do a documentary, he called me up and um, he said, <laughs> uh, man, I'm, I'm thinking about doing something. I said, well, why are you calling me? I know you got, I, I, I know you got all that footage. <laughs> And I, and I started laughing because I got like, I've been coaching for 30, 30 plus years. I got like 30 plus years worth of footage. And I said, so why are you looking at me? <laughs> and, 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 I, and I had some stuff that they just couldn't believe. You know, like when he made the announcement that he was going from high school to pro, I, I had it on the VHS and Kevin said, I know you still ain't got no VHS. I said, hey man, I yeah. had this in the safe for 25 years. Now you need to sit in and see what I got. And when his producers saw that, they said, oh, my God, this man crazy. He got stuff still from back there. The media didn't even have it. They, I said, they were there. I doubt if they still got it, but I got it. Because <laughs> you knew, like a lot of people, you knew before the rest of the world knew. I, I got to meet Shirley Garnett a few times in Minnesota when Kevin was in his early years and I was there. And first, for anyone that hears that name, don't ever doubt what a strong single mother can accomplish ever absolutely, but absolutely. is there even is there a way to even categorize to describe the magnitude of the trust and the responsibility that she put in you that she felt for you to take care of her baby that year you know what and basically she put it pretty much the way you put it you know like you say hey i'm gonna i'm gonna put him in your hands but now i need to, i need you to make sure that he's gonna be all right and i told her you got him in the right place because my thing is like, like when she did a documentary earlier, she was talking about uh, how she was that mother hen that's watching after her kids. I say, hey, you, know, you got a partner right here. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything but to sit back because it was Kevin, his little sister Ashley, and his mother. I said, you got the girls, I got the guys. I said, I, I can navigate these streets. These are my streets. This is where I'm from, and I make sure he stays out of harm's way. That's what I do for you. And then at the end of the night, we lived in the same apartment building. She stayed upstairs, I stayed downstairs. Huh. I said, when I come home, you come home. <laughs> so, so you good. I mean, we did our thing, and she enjoyed the ride as well as I did. I mean, the whole time I was looking at him progressing and, and coming along, and I say, you know what? I, I, I kind of can see the future here. You know, a lot of people doubted it and said, oh, he's not going to be able to do that. He's too skinny. And I said, they, they told me he wasn't going to be able to bang with Shaq. I said, Bang, do you understand that he's not a sinner? Yeah, <laughs> he's he's going to go around Shaq or yeah. over Shaq. Yeah, exactly. That's all he's got to do. He's got to go. Shaq's got to come out to pick him up if he's going to guard him. He's too quick. I said, he's used to being a perimeter player because 
that's what I that's the vision I saw when I first saw him, and I allowed him to do just that. You know, like I said, he looked at me as he said in the doc, he said, You mean I can actually dribble the ball? <laughs> you, I told my guys, get out of the way. You you you're clogging up things. He he could bring it down, he could shoot the jump shot, he could do this, that. And they kept looking at me like, who's gonna let somebody do that? I raised my hand, I will. I will, because I see it in him and I need to make sure that he's able and he's comfortable doing that and I need him to be able to show everybody else what's, what possibilities are out there. And he did just that the whole time he was playing. I've always been fascinated by that year and there's a couple of reasons. And here's an angle you, you've probably never heard because I'm traveling with him for nine years, three in Minnesota, six in Boston. There was the, that constant energy about him, as you know, all the time. The stories are all legendary, but there was one place that was different. I never saw him as quiet, as inward, as pensive as he was when we were in Chicago. And it was always, it was clear to me, knowing him the way I did, that that year of his life was beyond formative. I know you saw the changes in him later and basketball-wise. How formative do you think that year was, not in the player that he was, but in the man that he became? You know, we had a lot, we had a lot of conversations because uh, he spent most of his time with me. Although his mother stayed up on the 12th floor and I was on the 11th floor, he was usually on the 11th floor with me. We had a lot of man-to-man conversations, and and I would tell him, you know, um, he missed South Carolina, and I would tell him, I say, hey, man, I understand you miss your friends and all the stuff that you used to do, but consider this one year as a business trip. You know, this is going to make or break you. You know, if you can make it here, you'll be all right, you know, and uh I, I, his focus was there. He took that as a business trip. You know, he, you know, no nonsense. He just wanted to work. He would do his homework. I would take him out to the gym or I would take him wherever he wanted to go and continue. We continue to talk about his future and how this would help to mold him into the person he's going to be. And I said, you know what? Um, you know, uh, it's a lot of people out there that, that would, that, that continue to doubt you. But uh, it's up to you to prove them wrong. I mean, that energy, that drive that you have, you got to let people know that this is real. This is not fake. And this is, and, and if you want it, you got to show them how bad you want it. And the whole time he played, every game he played, he said, hey, man, just, I, I got to do this. I mean, his focus was, like you said, his focus was there just to prove people wrong. And a lot of stuff that he said about those people that said, why am I here watching this young guy, this, that, and other, and, and that intensity that he he um, delivered that line with, that's what I saw. Because it was people that was out there saying, hey, man, they still kind of like don't believe. He was like, oh. For anyone who doesn't know, <laughs> Coach is talk, Coach is talking Pat about Riley. Pat Riley Spoiler right alert. here doing oh, a legendary workout. You got to watch the Showtime <laughs> oh. documentary. It's unbelievable oh. when KG delivers yes. that line. Because you can tell in his head, he remembers that moment like no other. Like it was yesterday. And that was him. Look, and and it was funny because I was at the pre-draft camp uh, that day, right before the workout, and like the same thing he described. I was there at the pre-draft camp, and we drove over to UIC's gym, you know, for the for the actual workout. So I same thing he described. I was laughing because it was like he was with me, but he was actually in the gym getting ready to do the workout. We got in the car, me and my assistant coach, and we drove over. And we saw them leaving the pre-draft camp, and everybody's acting like, well, we're going to go get lunch, and this, that, and that. But they was all headed to the same place. So so we get out, we're like, okay, I thought you'd be here. And we sat there, and, we, and as he said, he's out there working out, I'm watching the people whispering in their little small groups, trying to have a poker face as though, uh, you know. And at the same time, he's looking and saying the same thing that he was saying in the documentary, but 
I'm witnessing from the sideline. He's on the floor working out. And I said, oh, yeah, they, they, he got him. He got him. <laughs> he got him. And uh, we walked out of there checking out here, and everybody was going, God damn. <laughs> what did we just witness? And I said, like I said. You know, like people were telling me, oh, he'll never make it. He'll never make it. I said, like I said. I said, that guy is, is going to the Hall of Fame. He's going to be an all-star. And when he got the first all-star uh, game and continued all those consecutive years, I just kept smiling. I said, I told you. I told you. I, I mean, you had to be blind not to see that. So, Coach, we're talking about this legendary workout that KG tells everyone about during the documentary. And he's saying, ah, ah, he's just dunking at home every single play, right? That is what we all know KG as, right? Like, that's yes. all we see is the KG that took the floor. And he, in that documentary, credited that to you for saying, when you dunk, scream. And that was the first thing that got him to start, oh, I, I can let this out on the floor? Like, I'm not supposed to hold this in? What made you say that to him back in the day and, and want to bring that out of him yes. to let it loose on everyone else? Well, you know what? I was a different type of coach. And um, and like I, said, I was working with uh, another guy, uh, Rocky Moore, was the other coach at the Nike camp. Um, it was always two coaches per team. So um, we would... You know, we had the stuff set up, and they was they was playing, and and I was just glad to see a kid of Kevin's caliber. He was a little skinny guy, and but but his intensity, his his energy, his fire, and that that transformed to the whole team, and it, and it moved my team. It made, it made that team go, and I'm smiling, going, man, we I've never had someone with that kind of energy ripping and running up and down the floor, and everybody's buying into it. So. Um, he he ran down the floor. He dribbled the ball. He dunked it, and he started screaming, swinging on the rim. And I said, "Okay, all right." So I'm excited. So there, the coach says, uh, "Kevin." He calls Kevin to the side. He said, "Kevin," he said, uh, "You know, you know, kind of tone it down a little bit. You know, you know, that's kind of showing up to the other guy." So Kevin looked at me and he said, "Did I do something wrong?" And I said, "Heck, no, you didn't do nothing wrong." I said, "Because I saw." That energy transformed to the whole team. I mean, everybody was like pumped, and that that got everybody going. So he asked Ronnie. He said, "Is that your real coach?" Yeah. Like, like my coach usually says, "No, get the ball and give it to the guard and this that." You know, so that, that. And I and Ronnie said, "That's Wolf, man. He crazy." So it was it was a fun year. It was like uh, me orchestrating the circus. I felt like a ringmaster, you know, like how can you put all these pieces together and make it work? They were, they were some pretty incredible pieces if everyone goes back and looks at that Farragut team. Coach, you're talking about how like you, you saw this, like obviously it hadn't come to fruition yet, but you saw that seed that was ready to be watered and turned into this all-time great player. And you've known KG probably as long as anyone in the basketball world, if not longer, or the longest out of anyone. W when was it that you first saw that? Because I know that it wasn't it wasn't when he came to Farragut. It was before he came to Garrett, Farragut. So when was that moment that you just knew he was different? You know, it's it's so funny that you that you mentioned that because um, I saw Kevin come before I actually saw Kevin. What do you mean by that? Yeah, the year before. The year before, see, I was uh, at the Nike All-American camp, and um, mm -hmm. I was a teacher because I'm, I'm also a math teacher. So they needed somebody to come in and teach math in the, um, it's, uh, 
a uh, academic All-American camp. So they, they were missing the math teacher. So the guy said, you know what, well, if we miss the math teacher, we need somebody to come in to, you know, to teach math in the SAT portion. So I came in and I did that. I, I had Joe Smith, Rasheed Wallace, and a pretty good all crew. these guys, Jerry Stackhouse, all those guys in my class, and I'm teaching SAT prep. Yeah, exactly. So I sit back, I sit back, I watch him, you know, and uh, Joe Smith was in my homeroom, and he said, uh, uh, hey, teach, you coming to watch us play the games in the afternoon? I said, oh, I got to watch the games, you know. So I'm watching him, Kiwan Garris, all the guys getting it, and I said, wow. First thing I realized is here's this kid, Rasheed Wallace. He blocks a shot, he brings the ball down the floor, and he dunks it. I said, oh, my God, <laughs> that guy's like seven foot tall. They said, they said, you don't know who that is? Mm -hmm. No, I do not. You know, because, I mean, I'm from Chicago, but I wasn't doing the national thing. So they give me Bob Gibbons' printout. Rasheed Wallace is one of the top two or three players in the country. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's Rasheed Wallace. Then I see a 6'6 six, six guy grab the ball, go down the floor, step in somebody's chest and dunk on him. They said, that's Jerry Stackhouse. I said, God, is it that? Is it like that around here? They said, it's like that every day. And I said, oh, wow. So I'm like in awe. The next year, I come back to the camp, but they said, well, we are, since you're still a head coach, we're going to give you a team this year. That's when I met Kevin. So I see Kevin. I'm Team 10. He comes down, and I see him coming in. He said, you Team 10? I said, oh, no, stop playing. <laughs> I said, you thought, you, I thought you got the short end of the stick. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So I had him, Antoine, Jamison, uh, and, and a few other guys. They were just going to be juniors. They was coming out their sophomore year going to be juniors, you know. And uh, and I'm like, okay, where's my, like, huge guy? Like, they got to just walk past. And I asked Kevin, I said, I said, I hope you can, you you guys can play. <laughs> Kevin said, oh, coach, we can play. I said, you 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 skinny. <laughs> and he said, man, go ahead on, man. Yeah, we can get out. We can get out. I started laughing. So we played our first scrimmage that night. After everybody ate their, their supper and everything, we went to the gym. Everybody had their time to put their plays in. And we lost to the California team mm -hmm. um, and got killed. You know, Toby Bailey and all those guys, <laughs> they kicked our butt. I said, I hope it gets better. <laughs> so after that, they sort of got it all together. And man, we ran through the camp. I mean, we wiped everybody mm -hmm. out. And I had a different type of team. I didn't have a bruising big man, Skill. but all my yep. big guys like uh, Kevin and Twan and all those guys, they ran the court. Right, they ran the court. They shot jump shots, they blocked shots, they fed out one another, it was real nice. And I said, oh, that's what they do. Mm -hmm. No, they, they, they're not the traditional, you got the big powerhouse banging kind of guys. No. they. They, they changed the game. You got bigs that can put the ball on the ground and shoot jump shots and can guard all positions. I was like, okay. So I saw it then. That first night, I like, oh, I see what I can do with this. So, I mean, I, I saw him all that week and saw how just nothing else, his energy brought everybody together. Everybody bought in because he was not, he, he never sagged on anything. I mean, if he, if he did a drill, he did it a thousand percent. I mean, he was intense with it. And everybody was looking like, well, if he's doing it, we might as well, you know, because he's the top player here. You know what's interesting, Coach? You, you talked about how he his energy was kind of infectious. It was it was lifting his teammates up. And we just, at the beginning of this episode, we had James Posey Absolutely. and Eddie House yes. on, who were teammates with him during the 2008 championship season in Boston. 
and they were talking about that, about how when Kevin Garnett is around you in practice before games, the way that he's mentally preparing himself and just going basically crazy before, during, and after every practice, every game, they felt that they had to do that as well. It's crazy to me that this was happening all the way back in high school. What do you think it was about Kevin's personality that made his teammates think, I got to be like that guy. Like, I got to follow his lead. I mean, when you saw him, I mean, his, I mean, he was so focused on, on getting the job done, you know, and he, he's a very talkative guy. So he's always talking. You know what he's thinking because he's talking that same talk. And again, there's nothing phony about it. You know, everything was, you know, and, and, I, and I cannot bear to not work as hard as another guy like that. He's working his butt off. I'd be ashamed of myself to not give out that same type of effort. You know, I mean, I would come down to the gym. Like I said, I'm teaching my math class, last class of the day. They're down there getting dressed. By the time I get down to the gym, they're already running sprints and doing suicides, this, that, and the other. And, and then they're running intensely. They're not just meddling it in. All you hear is gym shoes squeaking. I thought there was another coach in the gym that, 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 that was, you know, blowing that whistle and had them going. I look in the door. And they're in there running by themselves. And I said, oh, snap. I love this. I never in my life witnessed anything like that. And I sit back there and watch them for a while. Okay, guys, now I can get right to the business of practice and because they had already done their thing, you know. And I said, you know what? I saw that he was a leader from the before he got there, and he just proved to me that he didn't need me to give him instructions as to what to do. You hear him mm-hmm. talking. Say, man, I didn't come all the way from South Carolina to lose, man. I need y'all to, to, to get with this, get with me. And I would tell him, I would chime in and say, well, he's the number one player in the country. How do you think he got that way? He doesn't take a day off. So you guys going to have to buy into this. It's so interesting to hear you recalling your early days with him. And, and I, I've been with the team for 13 years now, 14 seasons. It's the exact same stuff that I hear all of the Celtics people talk about with KG and what I experienced with him personally He's the same guy now as he was back then, and that's what made him so great. And now he's got all these accolades rolling in. He's a Hall of Famer. Now he's getting number five raised up into the rafters at TD Garden. Coach, one last question for you before I let you go. I mean, that's got to be crazy for you. You know the history of the Boston Celtics. Bill Russell's hanging up there. Bob Cousy, Larry Bird, all of these greats. And now Kevin Garnett's number is going to be out there. What's going to be going through your head as that guy who's been alongside him for this entire journey? What's going to be going through your mind as, as you watch that? Watch him. He's going to be raising it up into the rafters. What's, it, what's going to go through your mind as you watch that happen? Man, every time I think about that, like the first time I visited Kevin in Minnesota, rookie season, I come out to go see a few games and whatnot, and um, I sat there and I'm at his house and I'm looking at him and I'm smiling. And I'm remembering the 18-year-old kid that used to make me stop off at McDonald's and hey, come on at after practice, come on, whoop man, stop. We're gonna eat at McDonald's, we're gonna do that. Uh take me to uh George's music room or whatever. And I'm like, man, will you cut it out? And then I'm looking at him, it's rookie sitting a year later, going, wow. This is like, I mean, I I, I imagined that he would be big, but I never thought he'd be that big. And he just, his legend continued to grow. You know, as he continued to play and get all those accolades and defensive player of the year, MVPs, and this, that, and other, all the way to the end. 
I'm thinking of that Kevin that I remember walking into Nike camp and me laughing at him and saying, are you serious? Where's my big man at? And then, and then saying, well, maybe he got some potential to, oh, my goodness. And, you know, like, it's like you watching him grow from a little seed to this big, giant plant. And it's like, you know, like a beanstalk, Jack and a beanstalk. It's, this guy is, is huge. And to watch him continue to just get bigger and bigger and bigger and do his thing, every step of the way I just continue to smile. And I told him, I don't have to talk to Kevin every day. I don't have to be with him. I don't, you know, I didn't need for him to adopt me. You know, like, hey, you made the NBA. Can you adopt me now? He's like, no. I'm happy just watching success and watching him to grow and watching other people appreciate him for who he is and what he actually brought to this game. You know, watch him open up that gate for all those other people to uh, explore going from high school to the pros. Him being that first one and me even having that tape showing that, hey, he made the first announcement, say, y'all, I'm going to skip this and just go right to that. And, and I smile and say, wow. Look at look, hey, look, look at what he's become. You know, he went from that little guy in South Carolina, you know, to where he is right now. I just keep shaking my head and smiling, and I'm so proud of him. Well, Coach, you you talked about how you just look at him and you smile. I know you're going to be smiling Sunday when that number goes up to the rafters, and that building is going to be full of smiles and energy and passion. Everyone, it's going to be their opportunity to give back to KG after he gave to them so much over the course of six years here in Boston. So we can't wait for you to be here. We can't wait for uh, that number five to go up into the rafters, and it's going to be a pretty incredible weekend. So thank you for taking the time to join us and tell us some pretty incredible stories of KG's early days. Okay, I, I really appreciate it, man. Like I said, I mean, smile, I'm going to be smiling and crying. <laughs> All right, an entire podcast dedicated to Kevin Garnett. He deserves it. It's his weekend. The number's going up into the rafters, but – heck of a lot of information coming from those guys that we just talked to. What stood out to me at the start of the conversation, Sean, was the fact that this 2008 team hasn't gotten back together. Like I, I thought I heard some rumors about them going on vacations together and maybe those were just smaller groups, but was that not wild to hear that that group? I mean, maybe like Scott Pollard hasn't come to, to a group outing or something, but I would have thought that these guys got back together more often than uh, never <laughs> since 2008. It's one of those things that you know, like if somebody asked me on the street, hey, have those guys gotten together? I would have said, no, there really hasn't been. But then when you hear them, when you talk to James and Eddie together and they're saying, oh, I got to text you about that thing. And it's, you realize that it's just like the rest of our lives, right? And our friends that we sort of lose touch with and maybe because of social media and texting, it feels like they're right there. But you realize everybody hasn't been together. And the, the 1980 Olympic team was like that. They had reunions where they had like 17 or 18 of the guys together, but obviously didn't have everybody. And this is a, you know, a, a golden opportunity for a team that made so much history on the court together and in their togetherness during that time. And then, you know, life takes you in, in different ways. But uh, this weekend, I think has brought everybody back this week. Listen, if you're me, this has been a week of time travel, right? Because everybody from you to everybody on the other end of the phone, to all the podcasts I've done, to the games themselves, it's just is transporting me back to these different times in my life where I was a tangential part just of the Kevin Garnett experience. You know, being a 27-year-old guy, like looking around, oh my gosh, I'm in the NBA, and there's Kevin Garnett. And, and then years later when magically 
who shows up on my job uh, for six years. And he followed you. I said at the start, yeah. Well, it's funny because he wasn't. First, there was Wally. Other guys did that too that I had been with in Minnesota and ended up making their way through uh, through Boston. Wally being the one that uh, people remember most. But yeah, it was. uh, uh, It's been a fascinating week of. Oh yeah, that's why I said at the start, Mark. When people talk about these stories, I guarantee you, they are all they are all true. And you forget about them, and then every new podcast, every new interview, every new once something comes up, and <laughs> they talk about uh, sitting on the tarmac waiting for PF Changs. That happened. Talk about KG barking at somebody. I don't know if it was one of the owners. I don't remember who it was that went into the locker room and started taking food. And that 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 brought me back to this time that. KG just made everything, even if it wasn't a team thing, he made it, you know, he made it a team thing. And of all the things this way, there are a million of these stories, and I'll tell you as many of them as like, as you want me to. But what we have to remember here about his place in Celtics history is that Kevin Garnett, like no other star in the history of the game, has been not about the individual, but about what? Yep. The five. The five guys on the court. That's why he chose that number, and how fitting is it that we honor the one who brought the concept of the five guys back, and now the five goes up. I just got to say that when uh, when they were telling that story about the <clears throat> either a staffer or whoever it was that was grabbing the food before the players did, the first thing I could think of in my mind is what if our guy John Picard did that? Because <laughs> I could totally see doing that <laughs> on his first days on the job going in and Kevin Garnett being like, who the hell Not do you think you are? Yeah. John Picard is our producer for everyone who's listening. And John, right the now. nicest guy in the world, nicest guy in the world, and he would probably hear some. He'd hear some language that he had probably never heard directed at him before. Which was again one of the many the the, the great stories is we would have from time to time in the pre-COVID world sponsors would travel on the plane. Uh, sometimes they would bring their kids with them on the plane, and the there weren't like sections of the plane max and i are in the same spot on the plane we've been on in for 20 years but in the kevin garnett paul pierce new big three days those we guys in the card games and everything was going on the famous arm wrestling thing which absolutely happened they were four or five rows in, in front of us i had many of the songs on my ipad on my ipod which we had What's an ipod 10, 10 15 <laughs> years ago i downloaded them because i would hear that paul was playing it and i would just walk up four rows and i'd say what is that and so oh, that's the new Drake, whatever. And I would just go back. We didn't have Wi-Fi on the plane back then, but eventually that's, I would download stuff based on, and that was the, you know, access was different. If I wanted to get up and talk to Paul Pierce, he was 10 feet away from me for all those, all those years. But we, <laughs> the sponsors would sometimes bring kids Earmuffs on the plane. <laughs> and the plane, the plane, and this is no different today. The plane is the locker room. Okay. That is the player's flight. That is the player's room. They should feel safe to live their lives and do whatever they do. And so we would tell the, as public service, public servants that Max and I are, we would explain to the kids. It's great public servants. You're going to hear some language and some words in the next couple of hours. <laughs> Don't use them at school tomorrow. Don't, they're not for, you know, you're going you're gonna to hear some things because uh, there was a, I forget a person about whom this was first said. But as we like to say, Kevin Garnett was a man of many facets, and they were all turned on <laughs> all the time. To the max. And it was – I think I told, some, I told somebody the other day, in nine years of being with the guy and traveling with the guy, I can I, – I don't need a full hand to count the number of times I saw him sleeping 
Um, as a nocturnal stay up all night person myself, I don't, I maybe once, maybe twice in the nine years that I see him asleep on a plane or in one of those situations. It was just boundless energy and he carried you with him. He made players, the players who played with him wanted to be better. We all wanted to, you know, the organization changed when, from the day he, from the day he arrived. Which is honestly the other thing that has stood out to me from this entire episode is first we talk to James Posey and Eddie House in unsolicited. They talk about how being around Kevin Garnett makes you lift yourself up because you're, you're following the leader, right? We just talked about that. Like you've got to follow the guy who is setting the tone with his energy each and every day. And then we get on with Coach Wolf who says basically the exact same thing about when KG was a senior in high school that his teammates felt the exact same way as Eddie House and James Posey did. So this wasn't like a new thing that developed like later in his life. That was Kevin Garnett from like day one, which just blows my mind that he was like that in high school. Everything was competition. Listen, to the elite of the elite, if you've ever been around professional athletes, forget the elite, 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 professional athletes will bite your fingers off to win a game of, of hearts, to play Monopoly. They'll, they will steal money from the bank. They will do stuff with property. I mean, they, the competition level, you can't really understand it until you've been around them. And it carries over with KG. It was constant. And listen to the stories about Jordan. KG was the same way. We'd go into a hotel. Uh, I know, Mark, you remember the, uh, the, yep. the, the Western Hotel in Orlando, the one that's, that's near the arena downtown. And when you walk in there, there's three elevators, okay? And this was sort of a constant thing that went on with this group, but especially with KG, where there's always competition going on. Now, it is not my first day or my first year. I have my ways, as Max liked to tell the story, that I always want to be first. I'm always racing places. I'm always moving fast. And, you know, I have a way of getting off the bus first and getting off the plane and getting to my spot. And I walk in, and I can scout the elevator situation, and I can see which elevator's gone up. So I just meander towards the thing. Meanwhile, KG's shouting out, which is, that? Which is the next one? Which is the next elevator? Which is going to be the next one? And I know full well. It's You've already done this. Game. I'm like, it's going to be this one. And, he, and he, before he even heard me, at the, same, at the same time, he goes, $100 a man. $100 a man. And now I'm like, geez, I don't have $100. I, don't, I can't get into a $100 a man contest With Kevin Garnett. in 2010. Uh, about which elevator is going to come first. And luck, like my elevator comes first. Okay, Jesus whips out of high. I'm like, oh, I'm good, dog. I'm good. I got you. you keep your hundred. Everything's fine. But I'm like, geez, I don't know. What if the other elevator came? Like, Forever. In, in debt to, to be scraping together like, well, I'd be scraping together like coins from the bottom of my bag. Like see if I can. <laughs> it's I funny. I also have, I also have a Kevin Garnett competition story, which is my favorite Kevin Garnett story that I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, my Miami at the four seasons, you know how there's the two elevators that face each other. And this is a multi-level hotel. So you take the first set of, um, elevators up and then you walk away to the second elevators that take you up to your rooms. We get to the first set of elevators and this was during the postseason. I think it was 2012 when they made that run to the Eastern conference finals and almost to the NBA finals. And so KG, that time just happened to be one of the last players who got to the elevators. Usually for everyone who doesn't know, we have to basically let all of the staff and the players up, go up first. And then us, the media members who don't really matter to the world, uh, we go up last. Well, Kevin Garnett was kind of with us last and 
Both elevator doors facing each other open at the same time. A few of us get on one. He gets on the other by by himself. And he's like, I'm going to win. Mine's up first. Doors close. And then we get up to the top and the door is open. And KG's standing there in our door just waving his head like, yeah, my elevator was first. And I'm sure it was a little bit more explicit than that. Um, but, but it's all about competition. That That was... I feel like that was we got there relatively late at night, like around dinner time or later um, for that flight. But still, for some reason, he just felt like he needed to turn the elevator into a competition. But I'll, I'll always remember that. No question. What is it about elevators with him? Well, the thing is, <laughs> we were around him when there were elevators. There was always competition going on. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what it was. And again, he just he carried you. He carried you with him. And uh, I was really, I was really excited to talk to to Wolf Nelson because I've always been fascinated by that year he spent. Because when I think of him, we're having all these conversations about boundless energy and enthusiasm, which is a story I wrote. I remember writing a piece for Celtics.com the day after the trade that it was, and you know, the enthusiasm and just the the joy in playing and participating. But I, you would see him in Chicago. He was different. And I knew, like, that year just it changed the, the trajectory of his life. And this mm-hmm. was a small-town kid. And, the, you know, I think he needed the street smarts that come with – I mean, you're, he wasn't exposed to – he was exposed to a lot of things that aren't great in South Carolina. And he had that mm-hmm. you know, the horrible incident with the fight in school that he was trying to break up. And he ended up getting in trouble for all that stuff that's very well documented. But – that was a small town in South Carolina. And you got a small town, Southern South Carolina kid and spending a year in hardcore, cold, tough Chicago at a very formative age. And I think it was just, I, I don't think you can understate the importance of that year to pushing him forward on the court, of course. But I think it was a very important year in his, his development. Another brilliant move by his brilliant mother in in choosing that coach in that city and that's yeah that coach in particular he he just kept talking the whole time about no one could believe that he was coaching Kevin Garnett the way that he was coaching Kevin Garnett like yeah go handle the ball everyone else run up court for the fast break this is the guy who's going to bring the ball up court everyone's like you're going to let the 7 foot guy like take the ball up the court take the game winning three point attempt at the end of the game that guy and wolf's like yeah i am remember this high school his first 12, 13, 14 years, right until his final years in the NBA. All the things about Kevin Garnett coming out of high school, you don't think a second thought about that now because it happened for 12 years after that where tons of high school players came in. Big guys shooting mid-range and deeper shots. Mm-hmm. He was doing, guys weren't doing that. His game, defensive metrics did the ones that he would dominate in the final years of his career that we, we live and die. This week is a week in which the Celtics have kind of been swapping with Golden State the number one defensive team in the NBA, according to defensive rating. <laughs> Nobody had ever heard of defensive Did not exist. Kevin Garnett was played. And all these metrics that he dominated. You would just look and go, man, the Celtics were up by five when he was out, <laughs> and since he's come back in, now they're up by 20. That's all you, those were the advanced metrics that you had. And you were starting to get plus minus was creeping in. During the playoff run in 2012, it was absurd what would happen on the floor when Kevin Garnett was on the floor versus off. And you were just getting to it in the final, you know, before that, all we had for defensive stats were blocks and steals, which almost by definition means you're out of position. 
to rack up big numbers in those categories. There's exceptions to that, but you get the point that we just weren't. He came before everybody coming out of high school. He came before everybody in the game that he had. And in this other area, dominating defensively, there was no way to mathematically express the way he was dominating teams defensively. We have them now. Now that his career is long since over, but we didn't have him then. He would have brought, we would have, if we had all those numbers then that we have now, they'd be named after him. They'd be like, oh, Draymond Green, just Marcus Smart just won the Kevin Garnett defensive metric <laughs> award because he would have had it every year. <laughs> he might have had another MVP or two as well. And you know what? Since, well, since, listen, since we're just talking, right? I, I think if people know, I've talked about this before. Kevin Garnett was the most valuable player of the NBA in 2000. Mm -hmm. And you're kidding yourself if you think otherwise. Uh, it was for 16 years of voting. We just had this conversation the other night. They about four or five years ago, they changed the votes to where it became a lot more national as opposed to the people that are like, watch all 82 games, because why would you want them voting? Uh, but in the 16 or 17 years I voted, I would say almost half the time, I, didn't, I voted for somebody different than the guy who won. I know my first year in the league, I voted for Morning. That was the year that Carl Malone won. I didn't vote for Steve. Less Steve Nash had great years, but I didn't vote for him either year. I think it was probably Shaq one year and Kobe the other. I'd never been so sure that I was right and the voters got it wrong that was in 2008. It was the absolute definition mm -hmm. of an MVP year. So, of course, he should have won a second. And, you know, again, but defensive metrics, you're right. They absolutely could have changed that. So that's a wrap on our Kevin Garnett special ahead of his retirement, Jersey retirement this weekend. Listen, everyone, make sure you tune in to watch it on Sunday. This is going to be entirely unique to any of the other Jersey retirement uh, ceremonies that you have seen in Celtics history. Kevin Garnett is a bird of a different feather. Um, he's just a different type of animal. And what he wants on Sunday is going to be completely different than what we have seen as recently as Paul Pierce and then dating back to Cedric Maxwell and all the other guys who have their, their numbers up in the rafters. So make sure you tune in uh, and enjoy the show, uh, celebrating an incredible six years of Kevin Garnett wearing a Celtics uniform and raising that 2008 banner up into the rafters. He's getting his own number up there now. So thanks for taking a listen, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to View from the Raptors, behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics, presented by Cardless. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.